Guillen de Lerama of Innovantage talked us through his experience building startups and the difficult decisions he had to make along the way. For Guillen, the characteristic of resilience is important for any startup founder. This is TechShake Radio. Startup stories from founders, investors, and influencers. Okay, so we're joined by Gian Delarama of InnoVantage. Hello, thank you for joining us. Let's talk about the name InnoVantage first. Um, I'm guessing it's Innovation Advantage, or am I? Is that correct? Yeah. So, it's Innovation Advantage. Uh, I think we were thinking of a name that we could short it to two letters. I mean, because it might be too long or when we speak about our company internal, at least we can say you know, two letters. In our case, it's IV. Yeah. So, but yeah, it started as Innovation Advantage. Um, it started as iVantage. Um, it became Innovation Advantage. It, there's a lot more, eh? but yeah, so it, it began with those two words. So, InnoVantage. So yeah, we just cut half the, <laughs> the other half. So yeah, and it sounded good because yeah, we were able to shorten it to IV, yes. um, and that's what yeah, we call. Yeah, it might be the thing that, that you stick. You alive. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. Correct. Uh, but yeah, uh, because we always believe that you know, innovation is probably the only true competitive advantage that you can have. Uh, I mean, especially now when. Uh, things get commoditized. I mean, I can build an entire cluster in AWS in a few minutes if I want, you know, or I could hire via an outsourcing platform, you know, a couple of engineers to build something. It's uh, development work, software development work, you know, hardware, infrastructure. It's getting commoditized already, you know. Everyone has it. So now it's just what you can do with it. So that's where the innovation should come. So if everyone has it, how do you get creative? So yeah. if you learn how to innovate, then you'll always be one step ahead. Exactly. So, but let's go back a bit. How did you start even before you started InnoVantage? Um, was it something that you really planned on building from the very start? Well, um, not, not at all, actually. Uh, Although even in college, you know, in, in high school actually, I was already reading through uh, magazine articles about, you know, Google at that time, just uh, '98, uh, and then I was also reading through, you know, articles about we take it for granted now, but articles about Wi-Fi. You know, I was in college back then. Na parang no, how amazing would it be to get your internet while lying down? I mean, uh, we take that for granted today, but you know, a few, a decade and a half ago, that would be like magic. And you know, I always loved technology uh, ever since. So you know, when I when I graduated from college, I actually started teaching in Ateneo for about uh, for a summer. Uh, and then I did some consulting work, you know, building small websites uh, for clients. 
Um, but yeah, I went through the normal route and I got, I got work in a corporation. Several, actually. Several corporations. Uh, and, but at the back of my mind, you know, it's always thing that I need to build my own company. Because I got bored a lot. Um, I wanted to do something. If I couldn't do anything about it, you know, I, get, you know, I get depressed. So I, I want to really do something. Uh, then fast forward, you know, uh, 2008, if you're not mistaken. Uh, that's when I got together with a couple of friends and we started our own. Um, at that point, it was a consulting group. Uh, we were going to consult on IT matters for clients. If, if I remember correctly, the name of that group was called Vantage Point. Yeah, so Vantage was already there. Uh, yeah, that, that didn't... Actually, that didn't fly, that, that group, no? But some of the members of that group eventually became um, my co-founders in another startup. It was called uh, T1 Vision. Uh, we, uh, we were doing at that time, um, I think that was data networking, voice hardware. So it was basically distributing hardware, technology components. And then we got into software and all of that. Uh, and then from there, I had, you know, I, I still had this inkling that I wanted to build software rather than hardware. So at that point, I was more focused on, okay, I want, I knew I love technology, but my passion within technology was really building software. So, you know, I, I left that company. Uh, I started another one. Uh, at this point, it was on my own. It was a company called OneView. Uh, you have a thing for Vs. I think so. She has a thing for triangles. Advantage vision. Yeah. I think of a triangle. So what, uh, yeah, one view. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, basically, you know, it was this software. It was a small software company. We weren't that big, you know. At probably we were about six people at its height. Uh, you know, we were doing software support, IT support, and building software. And this was already like 2010, 2011. And that's when I attended the Startup Weekend, the first one. And that was my first through um, introduction into the community. You know? uh, there was really no community back then, but you'd be surprised the moment uh, you went into that first Startup Weekend, it's more than 100 people. It was, it was a very vibrant you know, group of individuals uh, there were a lot of ideas being discussed. Uh, there were a lot of um, there were a lot of different people, a lot of different um, backgrounds. No, so yeah, so we I, I joined Startup Weekend and I met uh, a couple of guys for the next three days. Now we 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 fleshed out an idea, no? and it was called Quago because it was an online learning platform. Well, Quago because you know, Harry Potter and all of that. Wait, what does Quago mean? Owl, right? Yeah. Yeah, owl. So, yeah, and it was, it was actually, um, we were really very passionate in discussing, you know, for the, the, the 54 hours that we were to, together discussing, you know, we were really at it, you know, going through everything. I remembered even, you know, pulling out 
uh, whiteboard markers and we were really scribbling in the whiteboard in Mint College. You know, surprisingly, and we were all surprised, we actually, you know, we were one of the winners of that sort of weekend, you know? And that's when we got to meet the guys from, eventually they became Kickstart Ventures, so, yeah. And then, yeah, from there, I was still with One View. So I continued with One View, uh, fast forward to 2013. That's when I met my um, co-founder, Aldrich. Uh, actually, 2012, I met Aldrich 2012. And then 2013, you know, we decided that uh, because Aldrich had his own company at that time. I had my own. Uh, I, we were at the verge of closing a new contract with a large multinational at that time. And we closed it, but we didn't have enough software developers. I, I spoke to David, but I said, you were doing your own software, software team, so can you just build this software for us, and then yeah, I'll pay you, and so on and so forth. At one point, we became their largest customer. So, and you know, it, it takes just click. Can we just do a company together? You know, rather than you know, having two entities, just do it as one. Yeah, and that became an advantage. That was um, July 2013, and I guess the rest is history um, afterwards. So for the sake of the listeners now, can you talk a, like, very briefly about what Innovantage does? Yeah, so our vision is to help companies get rid of paper. It's a very simple vision, uh, but it's very complicated to uh, implement. It's very well ingrained already yeah. in like, big companies. Paper has been there for millennia, right? So right now in this day and age, you know, paper is important, but not as much important for companies. You know, if you really want to move fast, you have to get rid of paper, you have to go digital, you have to go automate you know, your processes. So, so the company uh, revolves around that vision. So we've built, uh, we actually started as a pure software development company. We also had digital marketing you know, design. I think we were moderately successful at it uh, until we realized that, okay, we had to focus, you know, we need to, we need to be able to serve a bigger market. We need to have a more sustainable business. So we focused on products. And Cogito was our first foray into product development. Why was that um, something that you guys considered? Creating products instead of actually like looking for a bigger client base, targeting larger clients? Uh, well, it, it started because of a client. I guess that's the thing. Uh, they were asking us to do something uh, you know, to automate you know, their processes precisely. Uh, and I think we gave them a quote. They found it too high. In retrospect, I actually should have demanded that they pay because I knew they could. But uh, you know, they found it too high. They wanted you know, a sizable discount. And one of the things that I thought of at that time is, you know, how, how can this be a win-win situation? So I told them, okay, we'll give you this discount. You know, it's a pretty steep discount, but... There's a big but here. Allow us to own the intellectual property that we will build. Okay? We will build it to your specs. And obviously, that's the, your specs will be your specs. Uh, allow us to keep the intellectual property of the core product, develop it and release it as a product so that other companies, and yes, maybe including your competitors, can use. So yeah, they allowed us because that. And that became Cogito, essentially. And what we noticed that Several other companies 
wanted the same thing. You know, they wanted to automate their processes. Getting out of paper. So we asked for their paper forms using Cogito. We modeled them. We modeled those forms. It created electronic forms, online forms. And then we got a, you know, a drawing of their process, a flowchart. You know, we, we built a facility within Cogito so you can draw a flowchart and it will automate it from there. Uh, yeah, and then one thing led to another. No, after one client had several other clients. Uh, and then that's when we said, okay, let's, let's focus on products. So what happened was um, 2015, January, we spun off another company. So uh, the, soft, the custom software uh, development work and the digital marketing, social media marketing work was spun off into a new company. It's called Dice 205. 205 because our office address is Unit 205. So yeah, so now there's two companies, Innovantage and Dice. So you know, we one of our um, uh, one of our co-founders, actually the wife of um, Aldrich, our CTO, um, she runs uh, Dice 205. So they do the social media. Uh, design and custom software development work, and we have Innovantage, no, uh, that does product development. So, uh, so there, and then 2015 onwards. So we st we just essentially kept that vision to help companies um, reduce their dependence on paper. It wasn't as um, successful initially, but you know, eventually we got the product working and all of it. So, yeah, so Cogito. Uh, brought forth CNOP, which is a bills management, a personal bills management platform, which yes, it saves on paper because uh, it's not well known to the users of um, CNOP, but the CNOP backend can actually connect to billing systems of utilities so that they can send the bill directly to the app. You, can, you don't need to print an actual bill anymore. So you, you can generate the bill, save, save it as an app, the app tracks it, the app can accept payments, the app can serve as a, um, a vehicle between the utility and the customer, and so on and so forth. And, you know, the third product came in, which is Nudge, which is actually an offshoot of Cogito. You know, our same customers wanted easier ways to interact with our system. You know, I just so happy that, hey, maybe we'll just do a chatbot. That's what we did. So we actually started building Nudge July of this year. We, so it's still pretty new. Yeah, we released it as alpha probably around late August, September. It's now in beta. We should be out of beta by end of the month. Wow, congratulations. We already have like a, one or two customers lined up already to buy Nudge the moment it's out of beta. How do you guys strike the balance from service and creating your products? Because... Um, if I recall correctly, you only have how many people in your company? We have nine. Nine Of people. that, four are developers. And just four developers. Correct. So, so how do you manage your time? <laughs> Not very well, actually. <laughs> I mean, personally, but uh, because it's just it's too much stuff to do. No? But I guess it's all about... Okay, the thing about working with large corporations is that they don't move as fast startups or small, smaller companies and we use that to our advantage because it also means that project kickoffs do not happen immediately you know, so from the time that they say yes and sign the contract 
So in in those delays, it's just a matter of okay. So in between, let's get some work. Let's done. get some work done <laughs> when they kick off. That when we focus, and then even within a project, it's not one continuous stream of work. No, we we follow the agile methodology. So whenever we do a sprint and we present, um, essentially a an increment, they it takes some time for uh, our clients to get back to us, and again their their lull is our advantage. So get again work done. So and uh, my developers and actually all of us in particular in the company, we have we usually work on more than one thing at a time. So doing nudge slash doing client work, doing cogito slash doing client work, um, and you know, we just try to get just try to make things work as much as we can. So trying it also means removing as much causes of delay. So you know we ha we have an office, so, um, but traffic became so much of a problem that we decided okay just don't go to office. Just <laughs> work from home. Uh, and anyway, we've been working in chat ever since we started. Again, another inspiration for Nudge. You know, we, we always have our stand-up meetings in chat. In fact, we built Nudge so that to help us track our our messages to one another. So you know, if you look at our Slack account, our Slack feeds right now, we have so many nudges whenever we do project updates because we have a we have a nudge for project updates. So instead of typing you know what you did for today or etc they just type slash nudge project update and then they they give the update as normal so now it gets trapped so I, at the end of the day I just type you know view or list nudge project update and then there uh, I see all of the project updates for today as a report so I don't have to scroll through through slack so yeah so so we, we, we try to remove as much barriers as we could uh, to productivity so that's essentially how we are. and we have a pretty, you know, we have a pretty spectacular project manager in our uh, COO, uh, Joyce. So she keeps essentially every one of them in line, uh, <laughs> while I focus on you know sales and other stuff. So, you guys pretty much work at home, work from home almost exclusively during the whole week. Um, three days a week. Uh, three, maybe four. At times we do four days a week. I can imagine that's like some sort of a nightmare for your project managers. But how do you guys make it work? Well, not to, you know, toot our own horn, but no, we use nudge. Uh, and that's a big, that's a, honestly, that's a big way, uh, no, a big uh, tool for us to use. And it helps us because, you know, we give all our updates. They're all in one place. I can then scroll through those updates in a report at the end of the day because I can't, I can't attend all of their stand-up meetings. And then you know, everything is organized as much as possible. Um, and there's also this trust that um, we have. You know, working for um, a large corporation, working for multinationals, <coughs> working for local companies, you know, we're basically um, almost trained from the get-go to work in an office, a physical office. You time in at this specific time, you time out at this specific time. And if you work in the call center, you actually time in, time out, every time you go on break. Right? So yeah, we've been through that. Without the physical office, then everything becomes. But what we've noticed and what I found out, no, 
is that the reason why managers want to keep people at office in the onset is they want to make sure that they work, right? And it also means that you know they don't trust them, I guess, enough to let it do to do things on their own. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. So on my case, you know, I I chose my people carefully enough when I hired them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I won't hire people that I don't trust. So, you know, we hired them. We knew that they could be trusted. In fact, we are the ones who trust. We trust them first. Okay, it's a work-from-home environment from the get-go. Um, if you're a new hire, you probably will have to stay, you know, one month in the office. But apart from that, you know, it'll be three days work from home right after. And then we have to trust that they do it. And then it's constant updating, you know, uh, again, why nudge? Uh, but eventually, you know, that trust in our guys gets, you know, rewarded. We get, you know, we get a reward in return in terms of consistent output. Uh, obviously, you know, it's not always perfect. You know, there will always be some bad apples every now and then. Uh, there are times wherein we need to work in an office. So, so that's why our, our office is still there. But yeah, for the most part, we've been working from home. Uh, yeah, that's it. It's really trust and reporting. That's how we do it. I think um, trust is something very difficult to actually build, especially if you're just hiring new people. It's easy to actually do with friends, people that you already know. So how do you actually build that type of culture within your company so that you can already establish that sense of trust? Well, the single most important thing that we do, that I do, is hiring. So you have to hire individuals that you know from the get-go we're not talking about you know over time from the get-go from the moment they leave the interview room you have to be able to trust that person if you don't then you know no matter how good that person is they're not going to be a good fit but what, that's type how we of, hire. what type of characteristics that you look for like um it's hard to say like it's easy to trust the person is there a certain personality type that you look for, or is that is there something on the <coughs> resume that you look for that okay, this screams out okay, I can trust this person? How do you draw that out from an initial interview? Uh, I don't get that from the resumes. It doesn't tell me anything. Chuck, resumes for me don't tell me as much as I want. No. Um, it's really in our interviews where I get that out. Uh, primarily. I contact. <laughs> they can, you know, while they're answering, they're not looking at me. Then they, you know, I get fidgety already. Uh, at the same time, we do, uh, no, we do a lot of um, exams. I guess uh, when I say exams, these are like scenarios that they need to answer. Uh, especially their technical interviews. You know, RCTO, they can, you know, they they get pretty. <laughs> Uh, difficult, you know, and if it does, if it doesn't match with what they do or what they say in the resume, then you know that's already a breach of trust. Uh, I also look for individuals that are, you know, that they can demonstrate and describe in detail diligence. You know how, what was the hardest thing that they ever um, encountered in in their previous company? You know, they describe to me in detail, not in high level terms, in detail. What did you do? Did you go home late? Um, did you work X number of hours? You know, did 
I think I remembered uh, asking an interview once, did you cry? Not that they wanted to cry, but at the end of the day, you know, but at, we're able to solve the problem. If they did, you know, that's already there. So diligence, um, eye contact, um, funny thing that you know, they don't, they only, I look for people who only needs to say what they need to say and not say a lot more after. Because I'm in sales, though. I know the difference between salesmanship or pambobola, right? Because I do it. Uh, um, and, you know, sincere um, answers to questions. So, yeah, you look at that. And, yeah, and then one last thing is I listen to my gut. Uh, all of the guys that, that I've hired, you know, it's not 100% foolproof, but for the majority, if I felt good about them the first time I met them, then I'll probably hire them if they met the, um, the technical requirements or whatever. That's true, actually. Um, a lot also plays in the gut feel. Because as startup founders, we also build companies from our gut feel. And I think hiring, intuition. yeah, intuition is very, plays such an important part. Sure. You built a bunch of companies leading up to Innovantage. Yeah. What's your biggest takeaway from actually building and like for some of them, some of them maybe didn't work as well. What did you learn from all of those? Um, probably, no, I, 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 there's three key takeaways. No? Number one is never get too excited uh, whenever you close a client. Like the big thing for me, because you tend to miss the small things, and you tend to over, either over project stuff, or start you know acting as if you've won everything. Um, so we've gone through it. I've gone through that. That uh, that's the first. Um, things never go as planned. <laughs> that's the second takeaway. Uh, no matter how good the plans are they will never go as planned. So you better make sure that you have contingencies and at the same time, you're prepared you know, as a founder, emotionally and psychologically, to, to, to bear the brunt of the impact of a failure. You know, there will never be like a true success. You know, that, that, that success comes after several instances of hardship. Right? It doesn't happen you know, with a flick of... Um, you know, uh, with the blink of an eye, for example, right? So, and the third thing is always learn to stand up after a failure. So, yeah, I've been to several companies, you know, not all of them are successes, right? In fact, the most successful of them is not that successful compared to what we're seeing right now. Uh, but, you know, you just have to move forward. You have to be resilient, you know. I'm not saying that you have to fail all of the time, but treat failure as um, a learning opportunity. Probably if you're in the middle of failing, you probably won't think of learning. There's a lot of things happening. But after, when the dust settles, you know, explore. If there's one thing that you could do differently, what, it is, what would it be? So, and then do it again, except for that part, obviously. Right? So learn from it. Learn from it. Uh, and just keep on doing it. Never, never give up on what you're doing, except 
when it starts affecting the people around you negatively. I mean, as founders, we can get a little bit, uh, we might, you know, blinders. We'll, we'll have blinders um, in our eyes that we just see the goal, but we're already being affected negatively. Our family's being affected. You know, there are things that are more important than your company. Uh, you know, you have family. Because if, if you don't have that support later, you know, and then your company fails, you can't do anything again because, you know, you'll be too affected. So, do you encounter any hardships? Yes, every in, day. <laughs> but I'm sure, like, um, every founder always, like, um, encounters hardships. Well, like what you said, you can't really get any success without going through any hardship, any hard work or any difficulty. Um, for, in the case of an advantage, did you ever run into any hardships? Um, big bumps in the road. Yeah, I remember that. Um, I think that was, we had several, uh, late 2015. I think there was a time where in, I think on my end, I overprojected our revenue. Uh, clients that I thought would close did not close collections that I thought would be collected on time did not have, did not get collected on time. And we were we were building up our employee base at that time. So our costs were actually going higher and we've seen that our revenue was actually not gonna sustain our um, our growth or our employee growth. So that was very hard. Because you know we had to decide at that point what would we do and one of the things that we decided to do is to reduce our headcount. So that was the first time, I think that was October last year, wherein and I had to let people go. I had to speak to them, you know, explain them the situation, and you know, I tell them that you know, their last day will be two weeks from now, something like that. It was very hard because I couldn't tell them that I didn't have a choice. Well, I had a choice. I fired him. That was my choice. And had to live up to that choice. Whether they get mad at me, you know, emotion, of course, there will be high emotions that time. Or if it was a right decision to begin with. Because you know, at the back of my mind, if I let that person go, am I, is it possible that next week his client would close? In sales, for example. I'm letting go of that opportunity. But, yeah, I had to make a decision. Now, at the end of the day, if we wanted the company to move forward, you know, these are the steps that we had to take. So we, had, we entered into the period of austerity at that time. Uh, but you know, we had a lot of support as well. Uh, our investors were a great support. Um, our friends you know, were great support. The, com the, the guys itself, the team of Advantage, supported one another. You know, that, was, that was a low point. Uh, a second low point was actually just this year, uh, wherein we had to, and again, we, we were at a better position than our low point last year. But one of the things that I learned from that is I have to learn to project or I have to learn to anticipate potential catastrophic failures, right? Which is very hard to actually yeah. do, though. And I was able to, and I knew one, at one point, if we don't get our act together, no, we would basically just die as a company. Um, so again, what, what did we do? We tried to 
was there, could we change our mix of services? Meaning, can we get more services right now? You know, or can we focus on services sales to existing clients than focus on product sales? Because again, we don't have a big sales team, so they can only sell as many things as they can at one point. So yeah, I think I decided to let's focus on our existing clients. Maybe they have stuff that they wanted us to do that they're not necessarily part of Cogito, Nudge, or Sino. You know, so that's one way you know, that will shore up our revenue. Second is, how can we save on cost? So that was the time when we started, okay, maybe we have to start getting rid of our physical office since we were working from home anyway. Um, we were fortunate enough that our investor Kickstart you know, had their own co-working space, so that's actually free office and internet. So we made the most out of that. So our two days that we're actually not meeting, we're meeting there. So right now, we're only maintaining an office just for the address. Right? So it saved us a lot of money. <coughs> and then, again, um, maybe we, we, we needed to rationalize our headcount. Again, reduce our headcount. But it was a little bit different um, this time around because the night, my co-founder and I and the management guys, we were already decided that we need to start reducing headcount, firing people again. Uh, the night before I was supposed to do that, because I didn't want them, you know, I, one of the things as a CEO is, you know, you have to take responsibility for those types of decisions. So I, I told the, the, my, the management team at the time, which is my co-founder and our C, COO, um, okay, I'll talk to the guys. Let me handle all of the awkward conversations. You know? Let me fire them. Yeah, because so I did it already. I mean, uh, um, once, I know it's going to be difficult, but I know that I can handle it. Um, and I didn't want them to be <laughs> too much affected as well. So I, was, I, I became the shield. So, uh, but the night before I did that, you know, I thought of a Hail Mary solution, which is, you know, giving them a choice. It's weird because, you know, at this point, there was, the choice was made. But maybe I can give them a choice. So, and I basically um, told everyone, okay, this is the situation. We have enough runway right now to essentially um, give you your severance and all of that. And you can decide to leave the company immediately without any hard feelings. I will even help place you so I knew that they can get a job outside. I mean, they're very talented individuals. Um, so there, so you get, you know, at, at three, four, maybe five months worth of pay immediately and then, you know, find another career or start an, uh, another career. Or stick with us, right? Work harder than you've ever worked before at this vision of ours that has probably less than 1% chance of succeeding in the next six months. Uh, we did this June or July, next six months. So I gave them a time frame. You know, if we don't do anything by December, that, yeah, let's close down and you know, we, can't, we can't do anything anymore. Um, but you know, less than 1% chance of succeeding. And the, here's the kicker. R remember, we're doing this because we, we're not getting as much sales and revenue uh, cost. 
but I still have to pay them their salaries. Here's the kicker. Can, I, can you guys get a, diff, uh, a pay cut? I ask everyone. You know, I ask them, get a pay cut. But I'll give it, we'll give it back eventually when we recover. Everything was lost. But for now, take a pay cut. Uh, and yeah, choose door number two. That was door number two. You know, work harder at something that may not succeed at all and get less money in the process. <laughs> Those were the terms. So I tried to make it as bleak for them because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't pushing them. I was actually pushing them to, to leave, to get the money while they could and then get started here. Um, with the exception of one person, everybody decided to stay. And it was like, for me personally, that was like the best, that was the worst and best day of my career as a founder. Because I gave my guys a choice to go to a better career or life at that point or stick with us through thick and thin at you know, very low odds of success. And majority of them chose to stay. And that reinvigorated me as a founder that, you know, this is a do or die you know, um, situation for all of us. And you know, they stuck with me, with my co-founder, with everybody else. And I know that I, that's probably the, as well my best decision or best idea. If there was like one idea that I can say that was my best idea to date, that was it. Giving them that choice. If I hadn't thought of it, Nudge wouldn't be here. Because we started Nudge July. <laughs> right, right after we had this like, and you know, and fortunately, we started getting clients. Uh, you know, the la like yeah, this month, last month alone, you know, I closed a deal to deploy um, Cogito, which we're rebranding as Nudge Enterprise, to seven countries for clients. So, and that's like one out of several projects that we have with other clients, and we're still closing more. So. Yeah, so the work is there, and I was—I keep on telling my guys. Remember, I told you in June that you'll work harder. This is it. <laughs> I mean, if you're—if you think you're working hard already, this is gonna be harder than that. And you know, they're, they're just taking it. They're just okay. What do we need to do? Um, I know that they've been working 12, 14, 15 hours a day at home, um, and, I'm, and I'm proud every single day. I see them. I am proud because. I've seen the progress that they've made with Nudge. I've seen the progress that the company has made you know, since I made that decision. It's not because of me. It's actually because of them. If they chose to, if they chose to leave, this wouldn't happen. So yeah, um, that's probably yeah, the, the lowest point which became you know, a defining moment for Innovantage. That's awesome. I really like that story because um, you really get to see the character of a person when they face adversity. And when you actually face that point and had to make that you know, snap decision, do I keep my people or do I find another way to actually keep them on board and actually come out even more motivated than before? That, that's really awesome. <laughs> and um, yeah, you were going to say something. And I think it was, it was a culmination of the culture that you fostered in your company yeah. in the years before. Because you had to, you yeah. had to trust one another. Exactly. That at in the end of the day, you know, we all played a part in the company's. We all play a part in the company's future. 
you know, there is no um, individual, there's no one person that does the work of everybody. Everybody is important, no matter how big or small relatively what they're doing, you know. I may be the CEO, but I'm pretty sure I can't build, um, let's say, Nudgebot the way one of my developers, Darwin, did. No, I might be the CEO, but I can't um, think of an AWS architecture the same way as my CTO can do, right? So you know, we all have that, that, those things that we do, and we all complement each other. We've, for the most part, I've been working with them for three plus years with many of them. They've, I've, we've been through personal hardships together, you know. Uh, there are now three kids that have been born, uh, you know, from different people in the company for the past three years. So yeah, we, it's it's one big family that you know we will work, we will work as much as we can, as hard as we can to protect that family. Yeah. So you spoke a bit about resilience, and I think that pretty much exemplifies it. And you also likened your company to a Volkswagen Beetle. Yeah. What do you think? Um, what do you think will help it chug along in the next coming year? Um, I think one is finding a lot more people like them, uh, what I have right now. And then, obviously, I also don't want to keep this status quo, you know, the status quo. I want to improve everything, right? I want the company to grow and succeed. And in order for us to do that, well, the first thing we need to do is we need to get more people to help us. Uh, when I say more people to help us, getting more uh, people that can do parts of our jobs better. So, you know, I may be the CEO of the company and I do sales, but I know that I'm not the best salesman. So I need, I'm looking for, let's say, a person who can be the head of sales that can really sell um, our products. Um, so yeah, so getting more people there, um, getting our business model uh, fixed and to a point that it's going to be scalable. That's, that involves a lot of back and forth between me, my co-founder, our investors, and everybody. Uh, at the same time, you know, uh, making sure that what we're doing right now for Nudge is spread and known by as much people as we, we could, you know, given our budget, so marketing everything. Uh, will it mean getting another investor or getting more money? Maybe. Um, will it mean uh, another product? Uh, my thinking right now is I hope not in the next one or two years. You <laughs> just want to focus on this first. Uh, but yeah, so probably what we, uh, what we need to do so that we can not only chug along, you know, it will still be a beetle, but I just want rockets strapped on the roof. <laughs> okay. Right? Uh, you know, at the end of the day, the, you know, a beetle is a tank. So all you need to do are two massive take, rockets, and that's it. <laughs> the beetle can take anything, yeah, so, and it can still survive. Yeah. And I don't want it to be a Ferrari, properly, because yeah. if I put it in a, if I drive it in Edsa and hit a pothole, that's it. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, okay, so in advantage is a rocket-powered beetle. Yes. That's what you plan it to be. So how can people reach out to you? Maybe have um, some social media links that you can have them go to, and also the... URL of your website, maybe some of them actually want to work with Innovant. Yeah. So, yeah, so our, our website is um, www.ivantageapps.com. 
www.ourproductwebsite.com. Uh, the link to all our product websites are there. Uh, we have a, a blog, which is uh, blog.unudge.me. You nudge that me. Actually, the URL of nudge is www.unudge.me. So, um, letter U. Um, and then, of course, in Facebook, uh, you could connect with me. You know, it's GNDLR, G I A N D L R, personally. Um, and then our Facebook page, which is iVantage Apps as well. Uh, and from there, you know, you can go to our Cogito Cloud uh, link. Or you nudge link, or CNOP link. So they're all there. Uh, but yeah, but we have we do have one blog, uh, and I'm, I'm 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 busy. But you know, if if there's a question, I'll I'll answer it. I won't get back to them, you know, immediately. But you know, I'll be happy to help. Um, I'm an active member of the Startup PH group, so uh, as well as the Startup PH Jobs group. So you can reach out to me via that. Um, those groups as well. Uh, yeah, I'm always at the, you know, Monday, Tuesday, I'm at the Kickstart to work space. So if you guys want to drop by, just look for me. I'll be there. All right. So really awesome story. I learned a lot personally. I hope the listeners also learned a lot. Um, any parting words? Um, any, maybe one piece of advice that startup founders or just starting out or entrepreneurs, one piece of advice they need, well, not necessarily to become successful, but in order to have a good start. Mm -hmm. I'll just repeat what I said earlier. No? Be resilient. Um, as a startup founder, you will be punched in the gut a lot of times. You might even kick. You might be kicked in the face sometimes. <laughs> but you always have to stand up and you know, take another punch or another kick. You know, stand up, dust it off, move forward. No, you became a startup founder because you wanted to be a startup founder, right? So you know, just, just chug along. It's it's not gonna be easy, but you know it's gonna be worth it. At the end of the day. Awesome! Thank you so much for sure. this podcast. It was really great having you. No problem. Thank you very much as well. Awesome. We'd like to thank Guillen for taking the time off to speak with us. A Space Greenbelt for letting us use the Rockstar Room for the interview. And Jerry Guelias for sound production. You can find him at jerguelias.com. Thank you for listening to Tech Shake Radio.